Hello and welcome back to A Life Extraordinary. I'm your show host, Roberto. And today, I'm coming to you from my airstream with the pitter-patter of rain that you may or may not be hearing in the background. And to contrast the rain outdoors, I thought I'd tell you a story about hunting a volcano. I'm active one at that in Ecuador with a good friend of mine, Tunguragua, the throat of fire. And um, I was fortunate enough some years ago to take some ATVs and go exploring and met some spectacular people along the way. And sadly enough, some months after this, um, it did indeed erupt and uh, kill a lot of people uh, on the mountain. But uh, here we go. Hope you enjoy my shot at the top. The volcano's innards were rumbling, and surrounding communities were being put on alert for evacuation. The town of Baños, only eight kilometers away, was blanketed in ash, and while foreign travelers were becoming scarcer, and the locals didn't seem to be fretting. Accustomed as they were to living in the shadow of the bubbling cauldron, the town was quiet, quietly waiting. Fountains of lava near the crater had been sp spotted. It was September 6, 2011, after a week of intermittent ashfall and seismic readings, the government of Ecuador had finally announced an orange alert for the region. An eruption was possible within the week. Tungaragua could explode any day now, any minute really. And we just happened to be a few hours away. We just had to get a photo. No, we couldn't get there that very day, but within a week, Wangsu and I were ATV and camera gear in tow up the flanks of the 5,023-meter mountain in Ecuador's eastern Andean Cordillera, only 140 kilometers south from the capital's ca uh, capital of Quito. Tunguragua, which literally means throat of fire, is located in Sage National Park and is named after the province where it lies. By studying the sediment and rock around the region of the volcano, scientists have been able to determine that over the past 1,300 years, Tunguragua enters a state of heightened volcanic array and seismic activity every 80 to 100 years. We are on our way for another one. Since 1999, there have been six major eruptions, and it seemed like Wangsu and I were lucky enough to be in Ecuador for another event. I can still remember my mom asking incredulously, what do you mean you're going to check out an active volcano? I know. I worry her too much. Our first attempt up the mountain began in the early afternoon. A cobblestone road up the side of the behemoth from the main highway, winding along a precipitous edge with gorgeous views of the valley below. We reached a steep, well-trodden trail with a sign to Tunguragua Refugio, resting hut, and jumped off our ATVs to continue the rest of the way on foot. We would have to leave them unattended by the side of the road if we were serious about seeing this eruption. Just then, a diminutive elderly woman appeared at the top of the ultra-steep section where the trail begins. She was struggling to come down with a farmer's sack that must have easily weighed more than her. We quickly scrambled up the step to give her a hand. The sack must have been at least 50 pounds. I staggered under the unexpected weight and stepped directly into a pile of horse dung. Or maybe it was cow dung. Irrelevant. <laughs> but it got us all laughing. After helping her down, she advised us not to leave the ATVs. By the road as undoubtedly they would be stolen. She, she, she suggested we drive to a nearby trustworthy farmer who owned a homestead about 200 meters away to ask if we could park our vehicles there while we trekked up the mountain. We gave the woman $5 US. Ecuador adopted the greenback as its currency in 2000 and she thanked us so profusely it was positively heartwarming. Amid 
Amid the chaos that she warned us of the thieves that had lived high up on the volcano, calling them dirty rascals. Not very comforting, as we had seen several fellows walking around with machetes, eyeballing our orange-colored camera case and our, and our drive to get there. As we headed, heeded her warning and took the bikes to the farmer. He was in a good mood and attentive and jolly and happily agreed to watch our bikes. Actually, he was in a superb mood, considering he had lost 75% of his crop to the ashfall just the week before. He bade us farewell, and under the hot equatorial sun, we began our trek. We trudged up a trail on Tungurawa that was clearly ancient. You could see by our photos that in many sections, it was more like walking through a tunnel. The foliage was thick and likely would have looked lush were it not for the grey layer of dust that made the leaves droop solemnly. The ash is lethal to plants, and when I saw it, I thought instantly of the farmer having lost his crop. Thick clouds constantly uh, enveloped the peak, and we still didn't have a clear shot. On the trail, we crossed a dirt road. Wangsu suddenly burst out laughing. We had just lugged our tripods and cameras for four kilometers on a 60-degree muddy, mucky, manure-strewn trail, and when we realized we have at least we could have at least biked to that point. We kept going. A few kilometers later, we set up our cameras from a decent vantage point on the trail to take some time-lapse photos of the low-lying clouds. The silence was punctured by the sound of men coming down the trail, and I thought what the woman had said about their thieves and the trail closed to, to tourism sign we had seen. Nobody but the kindly farmer knew we were there. Two gruff men with hands like cleavers suddenly appeared above us. They even had the higher ground. A machete hung loosely over their shoulders with what looked like a cowtail rope. Their rough clothes told of heavy toiling in the fields, and their rusted blades gleamed in the setting sun. Buenas noches, exclaimed Wang Su. The men looked surprised to see us. Immediately they tipped their hats politely. I exhaled and returned their smile and chatted about the volcano. Wang Su and I speak Spanish, luckily, and so for the farmers it was easy to talk to us. They said that the crater had been covered in cloud for a few days, but that at night on a clear day you could see it from higher up. Oy no, demasiadas nubes, said one of the men, which translates to, not tonight, too many clouds. The light was fading fast, and I had this sinking feeling that we were, weren't going to get our epic volcano shot that day or night. Somewhat dejected about not getting the shot, we turned on our headlamps and began to make our way down the ancient trail felt more eerie in nightfall. Until the fireflies began to glow, and we began to reminisce about the day's events. We had quad-biked some epic scenery, met an inspiring elder, elderly woman who imparted us with great advice, trekked up a trail so well-worn that it felt like there was Alice in Wonderland like walls around us, and had a couple of beers with the farmer who had lost his crop. Sometimes what you thought would be the epicenter of your adventure actually isn't. It's everything that happens around it. Very true. You know, we often forget that life is really about the journey because we don't know when that journey pauses, ends, or has hiccups. So, um, yeah, keep that in mind because life is fleeting. And I think we take it all too seriously most of the time when we don't really know how long we'll be here for. So keep that in mind. It's about the journey not the destination. I'm Roberto for The Expeditioners. Thanks for tuning in and listening to my equatorial adventure of going up Tungurangua. This article I wrote in 2012. Can you believe that? <laughs> Some time ago, like I said, how life does fly.